So I think all of this, in my mind, brings up at least uh, three issues that I want you kind of you to think about, to just ponder, and I don't want to talk too much about them. But as a church, we've always at least pretended, if not tried our best, to care about our city and to care about our society. We're young, we care about social issues. I'm sure many of you have probably never really thought about alcohol as a social issue. This is one of those blind spots, I think, for a lot of millennials. They think about all these issues as being important and then don't recognize this very uh, laissez-faire, I don't know how to say that, Josh would know, um, kind of like hands-off, there we go, uh, attitude towards alcohol is itself causing some major problems in various aspects in in, uh, social spheres of our society that we would normally want to protect and care about. So are you supporting a negligent industry or product when you drink? One of the hard hard things about drinking right now is that a lot of the major companies own some of the smaller companies. So it's kind of like fashion and anything else. I can just say, well, I'm not going to drink at all, and I'm not going to support that. In my mind, at least this is how I think about it, uh, which is partly my snobbish personality, but also because I think it's an okay way of thinking, is I might want to engage in buying and purchasing certain product lines that I think are ethically uh, produced, even if they're a part of a larger company that overall would just basically do whatever the heck they would want to do if it weren't for customers like me that paid attention to where they produce what they're producing, what's happening with it, is this a common drink that most people can just go to a bar and drink a ton of because it's a dollar and, you know, it's basically just filth in a cup? Um, so that's at least one of the ways I think about it. But I think most of us have to think whenever we're engaged in this, uh, this industry, uh, are we supporting a negligent uh, uh, industry or product when we're drinking? You know, are we drinking uh, uh, for the sake of actually enjoying uh, or are there other ulterior motives behind all that? Are you contributing to a practice that is adversely impacting women, low-income individuals, and racial minorities? Again, um, because alcohol seems to have such a devastating impact, at least now, on these three specific groups, which are broad, I understand, are we really questioning how much our participation and support of these uh, are affecting some of the major things that are going on in our culture? Third, and I think probably one of the most important questions on here, are you putting yourself and others in physical danger, not to mention long-term danger? As we talk about alcohol, I think one of the things that it's often compared to, unfortunately, in the Bible, is this issue of food sacrifice to idols. Because the issue of food sacrifice to idols is a major theme in Scripture. And we say, oh, well, alcohol is probably somewhat like that. You know, we ought to kind of like be careful with it. Certainly it's not against the law, but if someone stumbles based on it, you know, then we shouldn't do it problem with that is food sacrifice to idols never put anybody in any kind of physical danger, okay? There is certainly an important idolatry aspect to it and a spiritual aspect that alcohol in our society still has, but it never actually put people in physical danger. And so in some ways, alcohol is very different, and our understanding of it and our respect for it should be really at a different level, even if Alcohol uh, today, I think, if we were to write scripture or if Jesus was to write things to a church, would definitely be mentioned in the American church because of the way uh, that we have uh, sort of misused this thing that you know, people once thought of as a sort of a necessity. Okay? All right, so I've explained some of these things to you. I have the little picture here so that you know, uh, but I think most of you are at least somewhat uh, aware of the whole five, six ounce table wine. Uh, 12 ounce regular beer and 1.5 ounce, uh, um, you know, some kind of alcohol. Of course, within each of these, um, there is a a proof, right, or a percentage of alcohol. This is another just sort of duh thing that I talk to some people about that just don't quite understand. So uh, let me just give you a really quick, 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 quick illustration of this. Uh, when it comes to beer, for instance, like cider. Your cider could have maybe 2% alcohol in it, okay? All the way up to, I mean, it could be 12, 15%. And so obviously there's going to be a different result of the amount of alcohol that you have in a drink, and it's really important. When you get to whiskey or any kind of like uh, uh, liquor, the, it all, the game is just completely different. So you can go from a 40% alcohol content in just a you know, pretty basic whiskey 
all the way up to easily a 70% alcohol content and whiskeys that are called higher proof bourbons, which means that you're now drinking twice as much as you thought you were drinking. And so knowing some of these things and actually understanding them and having a little bit of a basic mathematical understanding, I think can help because I'm, I'm certainly aware that some of our drinking problems, and I'll mention this in a moment, come back to ignorance, not willful disobedience. Some of us are just really kind of ignorant of how much we're, you know, drinking is supposed to happen. Drinking kind of has a way because of, you know, your, your body's ability to get, you know, sort of... Uh, um, transition and, uh, and why, why can't I talk about it? Metabolize the ethanol, thank you, uh, where it doesn't feel anything up front, and then later on you're dealing with the, uh, the consequences of it. And so some of us, it's just a matter of, of ignorance, but this can help. I gave you the guidelines. I think, again, uh, in my mind, and this is just, you know, uh, I think something that we should all agree with, uh, <laughs> we should be, as Christians, obeying the guidelines from the three major health institutes in our society. If you are drinking more than seven drinks a week as a female and 14 as a male, you are not a moderate drinker. You are a heavy drinker. And the long-term and short-term consequences and effects of that, I will explain to you after this. They're not good. If you're drinking more than two drinks at a time as a female in an hour or two-hour period, or four as a male in an hour, two-hour period, you are not a moderate drinker. You are a heavy drinker, and you are binge drinking. And according to everything we know from our you know, uh, health organizations that have been studying this for a long time, uh, the, the uh, you know, problems that exist from binge drinking and heavy alcohol drinking uh, are... are as many fold as I can figure out to say. Yes. So um, it, the general deal is one to two hours. Now, this might seem a little bit technical, and there's an argument that's going around that Christians say, well, if you're asking how much should I drink, you're kind of asking the wrong question. I don't really agree with that, and I'm going to go on the record saying that and let everyone else be mad at me and tell me why they're mad at me. This isn't like sex. It's not like, you know, how far can I go? That is the wrong question. Because you don't understand the spirit of what sex is for. Alcohol, when you're asking how much can I drink, in my mind, is just a question about physiology and wisdom and understanding this is how much I can drink. Now, I will say two things as caveats to this. Number one, people who say I can handle more or, you know, uh, drinking really doesn't affect me near as much. Number one, it's just not true. It's all having to do with body weight. Very little genetics go into how fast your body metabolizes ethanol, no matter how good of a drinker you think you are. Number two, if you do have some genetic predisposition for alcohol metabolizing quickly in your body, and you somehow do seem to have less of an effect on you, you're about 50 times more likely to be at risk for an alcohol use disorder. So that's not like something I would brag about. Um, so I, I just am of the opinion that asking how much is not a bad question. This idea that we, you know, that's kind of, you've been defeated from the beginning. Um, in my mind, that's, and I'm, there's other people I can already tell disagree with that, and just from the way you're looking at me. Uh, good for you. You're welcome to share your perspective on it uh, if you want to. But in my opinion, it's important to know this. Here's a really easy way to figure this out. There are a variety of blood alcohol content, blood alcohol content calculators online. Okay? If you ever have a question, now if you're looking at this like daily, you, you probably got to figure out your, you know, drinking habits and rethink them, or even weekly. But if you ever have a question about how much alcohol is going to be, how long it's going to take for it to metabolize in your body. There's a variety. Guys, just look up BAC calculator. You're going to find, you enter your body weight. You enter the number of drinks that you've had. You enter the proof of those drinks, which sometimes can be embarrassing to ask, like a bartender or something, but it's not really. There's no reason you should be embarrassed to ask. You, if you think you're drinking something with 30% alcohol and it ends up being 60%, your calculations have now you know, been halved, and so that's not a good idea. You can look at this pretty, you know, easily on a phone to figure out not only how close you are to the legal limit, which you should never be close, okay, just .08 in Texas, 
and how long it will take to completely wear off if for some reason you've ignorantly, or, or maybe hopefully you're next to someone who ignorantly drank too much, how long it's going to take for them to really leave where they're at. Because even driving someone home who's drunk, you know, uh, if you can avoid it, I think is important because drunk people do really, really stupid things, uh, including all kinds of things that may mess you up as uh, their designated person driving or whatever else like that. All right? So uh, blood alcohol calculators are, uh, are very helpful in that sense because they'll calculate exactly for you. There's even charts. Um, so, yes. Okay? Questions about that? You got it? I think those can be helpful sometimes, particularly for people who don't think they're drunk, for you to be like, here are the numbers, okay? Here's what you've just done. Not only are you drunk, but you're really drunk, okay? And, uh, and so in some ways, it's better just to use that on other people to convince them, because unfortunately, you ask a bartender what alcoholism is, and just about the only response that you'll get is, well, it's when you wake up every morning and pretty much just need alcohol to survive. Well, nobody is going to admit that, even if it's true for them. Nobody admits that. So a bartender's definition of alcoholism literally doesn't exist, right? Um, and uh, so, you know, uh, it's much better to have much more technical ways of looking at this. So I've already explained a little bit of binge, heavy drinking, alcohol use disorder. Uh, in the past, we either had alcoholics or not. It's been very helpful for us to be able to define this in categories leading up to uh, and, uh, you know, eventually leading to um, uh, alcoholism, okay? Hopefully you kind of understand that, but alcohol use disorder, again, is DSM, so there's about 20 questions that you would have to answer to figure out, and a certain number of them uh, you answer yes, then you've got alcohol use disorder, right? Binge and heavy drinking are a little bit different, and I want to talk about them because this is a little bit like square and rectangle, uh, so things are about to get kind of confusing for us. And what I mean by that is heavy drinkers are very likely to binge drink. However, binge drinkers are not heavy drinkers, meaning that there are plenty of people who will binge drink over the course of a month or a year who aren't considered heavy drinkers. Heavy drinking has to do with weekly alcohol intake, that more than seven for women, more than 14 for men. Binge drinking is on any given day you've decided to have more than four drinks for a guy and two drinks for a girl. These things are very different, like squares and rectangles, right? So, again, heavy drinkers, 90% of them have binge drunk, drank in the last week. But of binge drinkers, most binge drinkers are not heavy drinkers. And these two rates are, uh, are it's kind of what we would call a one-directional correlation, you know? It goes from... Heavy drinking to binge drinking, but not binge drinking to heavy drinking. I'll try to make more sense of this here in a moment. Not only that, but there are really kind of three levels of binge drinking, okay? Level one is those who drink five to six drinks per binge drinking. Level two, seven to eight, and then nine plus would be level three binge drinking. So binge drinking itself has these sort of classifications. And there are a whole range of statistics that go along with whether you're a level one binge drinker normally, two, three, what's kind of your average, and how do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, sorry, it's just halved, right? Always halved. Make sense? Yeah? Yeah? Three to four, four to five? So, <laughs> sorry, say it again? Yeah, seven to eight, and then nine plus, right? Yeah. That's for men. Yeah. Yeah, so half it for women. Sorry. Yeah, if women, if you're up, you know, yeah. Okay, so let me just say it for women now. So for women, yeah, three to four, right? Five to six, and then seven plus. And it's really probably halves of that. So, uh, but I don't know how to do that. I can't half a number. That's, that sounds way too complex. Uh, especially a whole number. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well... Can't go into the chemistry behind this, but yes, body weight has something to do with it. But also, there's just body structure, right? I mean, you know, women are made differently than men, right? Men have, like, huge brains. Women have tiny brains, you know. Uh, it was directed at you for your comment earlier, you know? That's right. Yeah. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um... So, you could do the research yourself. I, have, I, I really can't explain it from a physiological, biological, 
chemical, philosophical. <laughs> uh, you'll have to learn that on your own. But I trust the CDC, the DHS, and, or the HHS, and the uh, NIH, and any other uh, random acronyms, as long as I sound official. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's where things get crazy. Uh, this is basically looking at the average American and what... Um, I can't even say that word. I want to say quintile, but it's decile, isn't it? So what decile you are, all right? This is back, like, remember when you took, like, standardized tests, and you're like, oh, I'm in the 80th percentile. Oh, yeah. And then you realize what that means, like, you're actually in the bottom 20. You're not in, like, the top. And you're like, oh, shoot. You know, you thought that was, like, really cool. Um, so, that, by the way, that should probably tell you you're not going to be very high if you can't even figure out what percentile you're in, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, so... This is the same thing, but in regard to uh, heavy drinking. So this goes back to the, not binge drinking, but the weekly drinking percentiles. And one of the really interesting things here is if you really look at the bottom fourth of our society, they pretty much just don't drink at all. Now, this is, this is really, I think, a fascinating thing. When it comes to alcohol, a lot of people simply don't touch it. And I think there's an easy thing in our church, if you're a part of one of that, those uh, you know, uh, quint or deciles, to really kind of look down on everybody else because it's just not something that you do. And I think that can be really challenging, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on, um, and just that, that thought, because I think, remember as we talked about the prodigal sons, that can be equally devastating when, you know, for you, spirituality is a long list of don't do's. You're conscientious, and being able to try to talk to people about, you know, handling their alcohol from the perspective, I don't drink, never had it. One of my um, examples that I have of this, which was one of my favorites, is when we were doing ministry really early on, I have a certain good friend of mine who preached a very strong sermon against alcohol, and uh, within the same sermon, both said, alcohol is disgusting, and nobody who says they like it uh, actually likes it. They're just drinking to get drunk. And then later on said he had never actually drank alcohol before in his life. And I thought to myself, hmm, how does that work exactly? Uh, so there's a large proportion of our population that just doesn't touch it, doesn't want to deal with it for whatever reason, and I think that's important uh, to understand and recognize as uh, this goes on. So uh, as you look at these percentiles, so... Boom, 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 seventh, eighth. You can see between the seventh and eighth uh, decile there, depending on, well, I guess that would be fine even if you're uh, there. So it's actually between the eighth and ninth decile. There's a pretty big difference between heavy drinking, which would be the ninth and tenth uh, deciles, and moderate drinking in the eighth decile. So moderate drinking, you know, kind of goes here if you're a, uh, a male or a female. And then if you're a male, you know, uh, even in the ninth decile, you're still, um, you know, over drinking for the week. Go ahead, Austin. 74 drinks in a week. Guys, the top 10% of our society has gone crazy in regard to alcohol. And, um, I mean, it, it, they really have. I mean, I, I'm going to share more about this top 10% of our society, which has alcohol use disorder and uh, they're alcoholics. And alcoholism has a way of exponentially growing. Look at this. We go from two drinks a week in the 7 SL to three times that, to almost tripling it again, to then 15 times 4 times 5, uh, multiplying it by 5, right? I mean, it's crazy. I know, I've said 5 way before all of you little people said 5, you know? Yeah, I got it. I can do math quickly. Um, and so that's crazy. I mean, you think about drinking 80 drinks a week. Okay, uh, even 15, again, is high. But if you're someone who drinks moderately, even moderate drinkers, guys, are in the last 20 percentile of our society, meaning that moderation is a tricky concept. And to truly be a moderate drinker requires a lot of diligence and being careful that that doesn't end up going further. Because once you start on that pattern of six, uh, it can be very easy to move and go back and forth between moderate alcohol consumption and heavy drinking. And that's why uh, a lot of people tend to uh, say that, you know, uh, it's better just to, uh, you know, abstain altogether. 
But this is pretty crazy to look at, and this is, uh, should show you just how serious it is <clears throat> for, uh, uh, for the, really the top 20% in our society when it comes to heavy drinking. Okay, uh, so who binge drinks? Here's the age that you uh, were talking about. Let me read a couple of these things to you really quickly. Uh, one in six adults binge drink about four times a month, consuming about seven drinks per binge, which would put them in level two or level three binge drinking, depending on if they're male or female. Okay? So again, this is important to recognize because there's really two ways of looking at this. Heavy drinking, which is the chart you saw before, or binge drinking, which is a much more common problem for our population as a whole. Binge drinking is most common among younger ages, 18 to 34, as you can see in the last, uh, um, so 18 to 24 and 25 to 34, 25% of people binge drank in the last month. That's a quarter of our population, guys. A quarter of our population. And I mean, nine to, uh, high school students from uh, 9th to 12th grade, it's 20%. I mean, that's, that's really uh, uh, pretty amazing. I mean, you know, the last time I uh, um, really can remember drinking in excess frequently was pretty much when I was 14 and 15, and I was an alcoholic, uh, or at least had some alcohol use disorder uh, back when I was really, really, really much younger. So I can, this, this statistic definitely holds true. Binge drinking is twice as common among men than among women. Four in five total binge drinks are consumed by men. Um, now, this is interesting. Binge drinking is more common among people with household incomes of 75000 or more and higher educational levels. So what this ultimately means is that heavy drinking is really a thing for low-income individuals. Binge drinking is slightly more common for people who have money. And this is kind of an interesting thing. We're not going to talk too much about it, but I just want to say that when it comes to the proportion of, of who we are in our demographic, the binge drinking issue is going to be quite a bit more challenging and we're a little bit more common in our church uh, with, uh, with that issue. All right, let's go move on to the next one. So why do people drink? I'm going to go over this really quickly because we're going to address a lot of this later on in, uh, in the next two, uh, two weeks. I put these in different colors because in my mind, and you could disagree with this, this is totally up to me, or this is totally my opinion, okay? From number one, we go from what I would consider uh, genetic issues, issues well beyond the control of an individual needing some outside help, to issue 10, which has to do a whole lot more with the individual's will and just learning how to, you know, kind of get good at doing things that they need to be uh, good at and doesn't necessarily need some kind of outside intervention. And this is not technical at all. This is just simply my experience uh, of uh, having and being surrounded by a whole lot of people who are either alcoholics or have alcoholic use disorder. Uh, and then my own, uh, you know, kind of journey with this. So genetic predisposition, some people just simply are more prone to drink than others. Uh, you can find it in their genetic material. It's uh, sometimes passed on through, uh, you know, interactions or with just simply that they had an alcoholic in the family. Some of this is pretty colloquial, uh, meaning that it's not really hard, you know, proof or evidence. Uh, some of it, you know, there could be other factors having to do with uh, certain levels uh, of uh, hormones and things like that that have to do with, uh, um, with drinking. Number two is abuse and trauma. Any kind of sexual abuse, uh, assault, trauma, uh, that people who have these things in their past are just much more likely to drink. And so that that's kind of can become a predisposition uh, to some of these things. Emotional issues, which range beyond just anxiety and depression, but certainly anxiety and depression too. People who generally suffer from anxiety disorders or depressive disorders are much more likely uh, uh, to drink, okay? And that should make sense, right? Uh, it's a way of trying to kind of deal with something in a less than effective way. And then we kind of move towards some of the other things that I think are just kind of common, maybe tropes in our society of why people drink. They're stressed out, right? And in some ways, the stress and the celebration thing kind of go together. I've known people who just can't do really anything high or low without having a drink along with it. Meaning if good things happen, they celebrate with a drink. Bad things happen, they sort of escape the situation with a drink. And it becomes this pattern of just good or bad, I'm drinking. Not so much in the middle, but good or bad. And uh, it just becomes a kind of a habitual thing, which I think uh, some of these from 5 through 10 become a lot more habitual. I've known people who are workaholics, who drink to fuel being able to work more. 
You know, they get to a point in the day where they've just sort of like depleted of their resources, go to a bar, drink, and get some kind of second wind, uh, which in reality is just ignoring what their physical body is telling them to do, which is stop working, bypass that, and continue to work. The quality of their work, you know, you can imagine, but, um, you know, uh, workaholism and, uh, and some of the, uh, the problems with that people will uh, associate with, uh, with drinking or help drink. People who are just restless, you know, you're bored, and you don't know what to do, and drinking can kind of just shut off your brain for hours at a time, okay? Uh, you know, if I'm anywhere in this sort of deal here, uh, six and seven, I think, are most applicable to me, and so I have to watch out uh, quite a bit, although I'm sure I have some kind of genetic predisposition, predisposition in the past, but workaholism and restlessness are both uh, you know, ones I have to be very careful of. Celebration, obviously, I think we know escapism, people who just want to escape whatever's going on in their life. And, and I, I mentioned this, and, but I really want to uh, harp on the fact that this is sometimes really comes down to just ignorance and a lack of self-control. You know, telling yourself, I'm going to you know, decide how much to drink when I'm in the process of drinking is like telling yourself in a sexual encounter, I'll figure out where my boundaries are in the middle. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Yeah, oh yeah, oh, lies. Um, <laughs> So I know I, 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 you know, sort of disassociated these earlier, but absolutely, when you go into a drinking situation, and if you can't handle drinking, you know, I, so when, in my class, I ask a question to all of my students, and I basically ask them, you know, how many of you drink to get drunk, which is 25%, which is what we see in binge drinking, but what's always surprising to me is the other 25%, so half of my class, who starts out drinking and doesn't intend to get drunk, but does, and that number is always the same which means 50% of my 18, 19, 20-year-olds, whenever they drink, are always getting drunk. And half of them intend to, and half of them don't intend to. And so walking into a situation where I'm drinking and knowing not what my limit is, but what everybody's limit is, because I know whether they're a female or a male. Well, I mean, you know, but you got the idea. And, uh, and I know what those boundaries ought to be, and I should never let myself or other people get outside of those. Yep. Um, well, I think general escapism is just the idea that I'm dealing with the situation by escaping from it. It's not having to do with one of these specific issues. So I was thinking more in my mind like, I've got this issue at work, or I've got this issue in a relationship, and I just don't want to deal with it, so boom. I mean, you know, the typical drinker we see in a movie, I think, is the more escapist type. I'm dealing with the problem by drinking away my sorrows kind of thing. Does that make sense? Because you're right. I mean, these things are escaping, feeling nothing, or feeling terrified, or, but then in that case, I think they fall under those specific aspects of that. That's, that's a great question. I mean, we could put a lot on there. Sadness, uh, habitual, um, I learned it from someone and never realized it was a lot of drinking. I just sort of did it because everyone else around me did it and never even questioned it. I, this is totally my list, and so I don't want you to think this is like some well-thought-out or wise thing. This is just my list. Yeah, Lorraine. Yeah, binge drinking is just simply in a sitting, one to two hours, you're drinking more than two as a woman, four as a, a male. A heavy drinking is a weekly pattern of seven for a woman, more than that, 14 more for a guy. Obviously, there's overlap, right? Because if you've just drank seven in one sitting, you're now both a binge drinker and a heavy drinker for that week. But heavy drinkers are consistently drinking that much each week. Yeah, okay. And both can lead to healthy uh, uh, alcohol use disorder. But obviously, heavy alcohol drinking is much more likely to do that. And uh, you know, when, when you're drinking uh, less than 14 a week for a male and two for uh, a female, your chances of developing AUD is two in 100. Okay? When you go outside of that 14 and 15, that number jumps up to 35 out of 100 and goes up from there. So there's a huge gap. Remember, the 15 and 75. We're not talking about small numbers. We're talking about exponential growth. And so if you're not consistently a moderate or less drinker, you're asking, you're asking to develop alcohol use disorder. It's just going to happen, okay? Or at least you're playing the odds, 30 to 100, 50 to 100. You know, not, not a very wise thing to do. Okay, continuing on. So how does this apply to you? And things are going to, we'll try to move through this pretty quickly. One in four between 21 and 30 have an alcohol use disorder. This is the highest single group. Remember, the national population is only about 10%. 25% of people in America between the ages of 21 and 30 
have an alcohol use disorder. Okay? It is most likely to happen when you're in this 20s uh, time period. And so you have to pay extra careful attention to not allow that to become uh, a part of your lifestyle. 60% of just peop- of college students, uh, this is 18 to 21, drank in the past month. 66% of those binge drank. What do you think about that for a moment? More than half of all college students in just the last month, okay, and by the way, this was done in 2017. It was done for the entire year and then averaged over that entire year. So that's why we're saying it generally applies to this month or time frame uh, as well. So 60% drank in the past month, and 66% of them drank more than that two for women or four for guys. So guys, as a college ministry and a college church, this is why, and I'm not, I'm you know, kettle calling the pot black. I was never a big fan of the no alcohol for Corfu's rule, never. But I didn't drink from uh, 18 when, you know, later on in the latter year I became a Corfa until I was 27. Just didn't drink that entire time period because I was involved in college ministry and just didn't. I did not like the rule. I didn't agree with it. But of course, the more I look on this stuff looking backward, I realize while I didn't agree with it and didn't like it, it didn't affect my lifestyle in any way. If anything, it just kept me from having to be uh, or have temptations that I've otherwise would have had. And I know this, this, uh, this rule seems kind of like, uh, you know, stifling, but when you look at these numbers, if there's one age time or time period when we ought to be most careful about this, it is the college time period. And for that matter, when you graduate from college, well into your late 20s and, uh, and dealing with this stuff. So college students are 10% more likely to binge and drink heavily, so that's, you know, uh, lead to a non, uh, an alcohol use disorder that non-college students are the same age. I think this is amazing, actually. The statistic seems insignificant, but when you think about this, if anybody should have a reason for like binge drinking and heavy alcohol use, it's folks who aren't in college, they're working real hard, maybe a day laborer or doing a trade job or whatever else, but it's college students that are 10% uh, more likely to binge and heavy drink. That's just how much college is synonymous with drinking, unfortunately. Um, and to me, this statistic is just really surprising to me. I would think of this as being the opposite, um, and so, uh, and it's not. So the consequences of college drinking, 1,800 deaths a year. That number might seem kind of low, but unintentional injuries for folks between 18 and 30 is only 12,000 a year. So that means 16% of those injuries, those deaths rather, excuse me, which is the number one cause of death for 18 to 24-year-olds, 15% of that is alcohol. Number one cause of death, preventable death at that, is, uh, is going to be alcohol-related. Almost a thousand people, or excuse me, a million people are either assaulted or sexually assaulted in a year because of alcohol abuse. Five million drunk driving incidents, and guys, the numbers go on and on and on. It only looks worse. Wait till I give you the next slide. I think it's the next slide. Yeah. 10% of kids are living with an alcoholic at home. This is not alcohol use disorder. This is a full-blown alcoholic. 10% of kids, one out of every 10. And for those of you who dealt with that and uh, uh, understood that growing up, you understand just how devastating it really is for a variety of reasons. It's the th- third leading cause in the U.S. of preventable death. 30% of all driving fatalities are alcohol-related driving fatalities. That's one out of three. People who die in a car wreck each year, it's alcohol-related. Globally, 25% of all deaths between the ages of 20 and 39 are alcohol-related deaths. Okay, that number is huge. The number is only about 10% in the U.S., but it's 25% globally. Almost 1 million college students, uh, I... I Stud, ooh, bad, uh, bad abbreviation there. Um, but I did already talk about that one. And then two times as many college-age students uh, have alcohol use disorder as the general population. All right, I think we're on our last slide, hopefully, here. So a couple things I want you to consider, and then we'll uh, um, probably just break from here into our communion time. Or maybe we'll do another song. Yeah, why don't we, we'll do another song. Ouch. So, important conclusions. Alcohol is a risk in our society. Have you calculated it? And what I mean by this is have you calculated the risk of even starting drinking, but 
drinking in any way, shape, or form, wherever that is, whether it's at the the bar, at your home, whether it's with friends, have you calculated the risks and made sure that you're smart about this? Guys, nobody thinks they're going to get into a wreck or go and have a problem before they start drinking. Nobody thinks that. You know, the top maybe 2% of our society who are absolute chronic alcoholics, maybe they consider that. But the vast majority of people who get into these kind of situations are never intended to, never thought about it, but they never really sat down and ever considered the risk of drinking in general. Okay? Moderation is okay, and I put in capitals here because the research is still very unclear, may even have slight health benefits. Okay? Having to do with if you are a moderate drinker, maybe clearing up those arteries a little bit, maybe possibly. But there is in no way any reason to start drinking for health benefits, okay? (laughs) Never. That is, just remember, the next time you think, well, I'm doing this because I know it's healthy glass red wine. You've all heard that, you know? You may as well just go get a pig, slaughter him, take out all of his blood, and replace your blood with him. That pig blood, okay? That's just as good a medical advice as what you're thinking about drinking and it being for health for you. In my mind, there is no excuse for an outright condemnation of alcohol any more than there is for embracing our current abusive culture in any way. An outright condemnation of alcohol is not appropriate. It's not, I mean, if that's what you want to do and that's your personal, uh, you know, that's great, but that does not apply in almost any other area, so you need to be very careful when it comes to alcohol. And I know people have had a real problem in the past with me comparing alcoholism to eating uh, unhealthy. And certainly, like, there's not 30% of driving fatalities each year, like, because people ate unhealthy and were, like, gorged or something, you know? But heart disease and, and eating is still the number one cause of preventable death. And I think if we, you know, we use the exact same reasoning here and say, okay, well, you can only eat good food all the time. Uh, you know, it just wouldn't really match up. And so, yeah, while there's strong, strong, I think, good advice in avoiding alcohol altogether, and we'll talk, because we talk so much about the kind of sad, devastating parts of it today, about some of the upsides of alcohol in in terms of choosing to do it, not upsides in terms of health, uh, next week, and where Christians should be uh, with it. Um, You know, both of these are are completely inappropriate. Outright condemning isn't going to help anybody deal with how to be a moderate drinker, which is where most of our population is, any more than going and, uh, you know, drinking and just doing what everyone else does. You know, bar scenes, college students literally have no information like this. Most of them don't know how much it takes for them to get drunk. They're not worrying about it. They're laughing it off about how drunk they are and, uh, you know, how much alcohol they can maintain and handle. They're paying no attention to it. Absolutely not. Most of the people that I interact with and deal with, Okay. Uh, and so it's very different for someone who's actually paying attention to this uh, and, uh, and, and, is, and is truly a moderate uh, drinker, which I think is still a hard balance to strike. Alcohol might be a useful tool for outreach and enjoyment of life, but probably more often it's used as a favorite weapon of Satan's. And I really believe that, you know? Sure, you can, alcohol I think is wonderful, it's enjoyable, if you're smart with it, it's, it could be like anything else. It's, you know, there's tastes, there's, it's like coffee, you know, there's things, except for the fact that it makes you loopy uh, when you've had too much of it. Coffee's not quite like that. Um, I, I don't want to make too many false comparisons. But yes, there's a lot in that that are very interesting. Uh, you know, it's sometimes been called the social lubricant, which I don't really like that right, kind of <laughs> word very much for a variety of reasons, actually. But anytime you need to alter your personality, uh, then uh, I'm not so sure that's the best way to do that. Uh, although, some would argue, eating good food, whatever else, kind of does something akin to that, but it's not quite chemical in the same way. So, yeah. Uh, I think more often than not, a lot of people talk about, oh, well, I had great conversations, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, you remember yourself having great conversations. Uh, but I don't think you actually had a good conversation. Like, if you've ever really been around someone who's drunk, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a struggle, and it's tough. It reminds me of this movie I watched this last week, which is really, really bad, and I, I wouldn't tell you to go watch it, but I loved it, called The Voices with Ryan Reynolds, and he had this version of his life, which was, like, not at all the real version. Like, he saw his height. His name is Ryan Reynolds, isn't it? Okay, it is. I know your name is, too, but <laughs> I thought to myself, I was like, am I using his name? No, 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 okay. Um, but he saw the world as 
like pristine and perfect, but then like every new person that came into his life saw his world as it really was, stained, dog and cat poop everywhere, uh, all of that stuff. There's a really funny, to mention another terrible uh, show, apparently I watch terrible shows, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where the season finale, when they're at their uh, um, uh, high school reunion, and they play that like amazing set, you know, and you're just like, yeah, and then they give you the perspective from the audience, and they're just terrible, they don't sound good, uh, so, you know, you have to be very careful with how well your conversations went while you had, you know, were under the influence of any kind of alcohol. And I do not think that is a requirement for us to reach society. Although I will definitely say some of the folks that are struggling most in dealing with a lot uh, do go to bars. And there are great opportunities, at least initially in the beginning parts of the night, to have some pretty decent conversations. Whether they'll remember those or not is a whole other story. Tori. Um, so, anyway, I think that's it. Questions or comments before we, uh, you know, finish off here? Yeah, I lied. I said we were going to do more uh, singing, but uh, well, what do you want to do? I mean, you know, singing? Okay, all right. Yeah, Austin. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the calculator, right, will tell you. Uh, I would say that any time you drink, uh, if it's more than probably you know, one drink an hour, uh, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be, be driving. Because uh, it takes about an hour for that drink to pretty much wear off. And you can look at a, a, a alcohol calculator, BAC. So if it's been one hour, you've had one drink at the beginning of that hour, not like slowly throughout the hour. Although that would be weird because you were like downing it. I don't know about that. Um, Where are you going with glasses this big? (laughs) Picture you like (laughs) lapping up margaritas or something, you know? What do you? (laughs) Guys, you know, you can always ask the alcohol content because sometimes alcohol content might be higher than you think. You get a cocktail. A cocktail is not one and a half ounces. It's usually two or two and a half ounces. So now you thought one drink because it was one cup size. No, there's multiple alcohols in a cocktail. So asking how much, you know, uh, alcohol, what's the content, those things are very, very proper questions uh, to ask, even though maybe our society isn't always like, uh, you know, it's it just it's a, it's a question that's important, and I think important to ask. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Uh, and I would say it, it, should, it shouldn't be over half of that, or even half of half of it. Uh, but you could do the, the BAC again. But yeah, I mean, you, uh, to, to, to calculate any of that. But yeah, just because 0.08 is a legal limit doesn't mean, you know, 0.076. Woo! You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, I know that's really funny. But guys, a lot of us have really terrible and devastating stories. Okay? Terrible and devastating stories. And if you don't have some, I'll give you some. Like, lots of them. Like the guy that, you know... Uh, ended up killing a girl, being the designated driver home, and spent two years in jail for manslaughter. And, you know, the two years in jail, I'm sure, were easy compared to the rest of his life, knowing that he killed someone because he wrecked a car. Or another guy who got 10 years probation uh, because when he was drunk, assaulted or attempted to assault the girl, spent time in jail and registers as a sex offender for the rest of his life. Every time he moves, sends postcards to everybody in the neighborhood to tell them he's a sex offender which, not to justify his crime at all, but when most people think a sex offender, they think some pervert and a kid, okay? He was 24, she was 27, the rest of his life, he will, he will uh, you know, be a sex offender and have to put those cards out. He will never be able to revoke that. Guys, the stories go on and on and on about people who have devastated their life. Some of them were not heavy alcohol drinkers. They binge drank one time. It takes one time. There's no odds here. It's not... The more you do it, every time you do it is a chance for something devastating to happen. Every single time. And I think that's really important, uh, you know, for us to recognize. Just uh, this isn't really a a game. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a tricky question because I think a lot of it comes back to, I mean, anybody who's drunk, I mean, they, they, you know, wasn't forced down their throat. And they chose to go and they chose to drink, drink. But certainly if there's patterns in their lifestyle that have more to do with, some, you know, it's like anybody else who commits a crime that, you know, they were uh, a victim of a crime 10, 20 times their entire life. And so for them to become a criminal, it was obvious that it would happen. 
um, versus someone who just commits a crime. And, you know, so I, I mean, not trying to justify it. It's trying to understand and have compassion for the situations that people are in. But I don't think, I mean, that's, that one's tricky because, I mean, any crime that's committed, uh, you know, whether you're drunk or not is ultimately, uh, you know, your, your issue. But I do, th- I do know alcoholics that very much excuse themselves. Sorry, I was just drunk. Well, that's not, sorry, it, it's not okay for you to be drunk. You know, you're not, uh, but I think for people who, and there is a very big difference in my dealing with people uh, who are alcoholics or have alcohol use disorder, those who are willing to get okay and are doing things in their life to become okay, whether that's a class or that's accountability, whatever extreme measures they need to go to, and people who are pretending like they're trying but really aren't trying. And, um, and sometimes that's hard to see. But there's a big difference between someone who, uh, guys, we had two alcohol-related deaths just last month. A dad flipped his car coming from 35 West uh, to uh, merge onto 35, killed his 10-year-old son. His wife just let him have the kid for the weekend, and that's what he did. First weekend in almost six months uh, that he had custody of his child, flipped the car and killed him. Um, We had another issue, I don't remember what it was, but some 24-year-old who was drunk rear-ended a lady uh, killed her, but her, I think her you know, older son, there's just, read the Denton Record Chronicle. I mean, this is not like, ooh, it's hard to find cases like this. Uh, and I think the important thing about that is we have a tendency to think of those as alcoholics, but any time, guys, any time, one time you binge drink, you could be that person doing that. Uh, there's no reason, not to mention the fact that you, you know, if you don't have some major consequence happen as a result of it, it makes it easier for you later on. You've just basically portrayed to the people around you a behavior that leads to a whole lot of death and destruction in our society and basically put God's stamp of approval on it as, yeah, Christian, it's okay for them to do this. No big deal. And uh, and anytime we do that, uh, if God has grace for us, certainly, it's just not okay. It's just really not okay because we're doing the opposite of of what we were meant to do and and that's take care of people and do what's best for them. Austin, last question. Um, No, none. If you're not really obviously drunk, and you're obviously drunk, meaning falling out of chairs, people are looking at you, you're annoying to other customers, bars will serve you as many drinks as you want. There is not a bartender I have ever met in my whole life who's, you know, I mean, they're nice, they're good people maybe, they're probably a lot of them are alcoholics, uh, that will stop you from drinking unless people around you will ultimately say, yeah, that bartender, I don't know why they served that guy alcohol, everybody around us knew they were drunk. And, and they'll, they'll encourage you. I mean, they make a lot of money off of alcoholic drinks and tipping. They will keep you drinking over and over and over. Oh, you want another one? Oh, you, you know, it, 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 let me do an experiment. Well, that's a bad experiment, actually, now that I think about it. But <laughs> the next time, you know, you happen to be in a bar and you get a drink, watch how long it takes you when that drink is done for the bartender to ask you if you need another drink versus your waiter at a table with tea or, or Coke. I mean, you know, no matter what you do, you can't get another refill on those things, Right? <laughs> Never enough tea and water in the world. Now, yeah, the bartender is right there, so maybe you can see your drink, but that waiter comes to your table over and over. Get an alcoholic drink. Try the same thing with the waiter. See which one gets filled when it's, you know, even remotely down. You have people, you know, halfway, a quarter of the way. Oh, you need another one? You know, you know, you can point on top of that one. Uh, so let's be real honest about the, you know, the goals of a lot of bartenders. Um, you know, and many of them, it's not necessarily ill intent, but they can drink that much and think it's normal. So for you, they're not really thinking about you and where you're at individually. And most of them have some really weird definitions of alcoholism. So Josh, you're shaking your head like, yes, this, this needs to end. No? Sure. Oh, keep going? Okay. Well, good. I have an entire another PowerPoint. It's uh, 40 minutes. Uh, cold? Yeah, I know. Seriously, right? Um... I want to say a prayer for our communion, and then we're going to just end with, uh, with our communion. I'm sorry that we went so long. I knew this would kind of happen, you know, with this teaching stuff. If you've got questions, let me know after, or any of the other uh, people on our staff, you know, they can kind of share some of this information with you, and, um, you know, rather than have a whole bunch of people share terrible stories and things like that, we really just wanted to give you some basic information, uh, you know, scare you straight. No, just kidding. Uh, actually give you information that's going to be helpful, I think. And then we can kind of base our next couple sermons off of, uh, off of that. Lord God, thank you for uh, your, the gift of uh, being able to enjoy the, ver- the variety of things that you have taught us to make. And uh, there's so many things that are good 
uh, in this earth that, uh, that it's just amazing that you know, you've given us the brains to figure it out and, uh, and to use them for their various purposes. Alcohol is kind of one of those things. It's just kind of an amazing process and um, yeah, that people would figure that out. And, but God, forgive us of how we turn all the good gifts you've given us into evil. Everything that you give us, Lord, it's so easy for us um, to follow Satan's lead and to, to disobey you and to go against uh, your plan for those things. For I just pray for us as a community that we, uh, in Denton in particular, as it becomes more and more a hub for uh, the beer scene and alcohol scene, that we as Christians would uh, be able to navigate, uh, truly navigate the difficult uh, sea of just uh, moderation or uh, positive abstinence, um, and not to go to the extremes of accepting what our culture says is fine and decent and quit making a big deal of it, or trying to make new rules of don'ts uh, that makes us feel spiritual. You would just help us to be a model for that in our society. As difficult as it is, uh, that your spirit would uh, just purse through us, Lord, as we uh, try to understand uh, what it is you have for us and how we can be a light to our culture in any and every way specifically in alcohol right now as we talk about it. We thank you for the forgiveness and mercy you've given us. Sometimes it's so hard for us in our mistakes and in our failings to remember uh, that what you have done and who you are covers it all for us. And even harder still to forgive other people for how they've wronged us and how they have, uh, have done things that have altered the way that we live or our happiness or our peace. God, give us that forgiveness, that mercy, that grace, that uh, can flow through us and uh, and make even the worst situations uh, optimistic because you uh, you have a hand, Lord, in it. We just thank you for that, and we uh, we just thank you, Jesus, for doing what you did for us and giving us a sense of who God really is—a loving and merciful and graceful God. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.